listened back to last week's episode. I'm happy with it, but it it kind of felt like uh, coming back to school after a summer. Listen to that. Mm. Everything, the lighting was a little weird. You know, you saw people you forgot about. You, <laughs> um, the Craig was still stalking us. Mad that Craig. he we fired him as a producer. D- is that even has Craig been brought up? Yeah. Oh yeah. Know? Okay. Okay. So that would be something. If you don't remember, that was the bot we had used previously to <laughs> record our conversation. He was a, basically an AI <laughs> producer. He sucked at his fucking job. Moreover, really, it's the Discord sucks, but (laughs) I'm not dropping it. I'm not moving on. Anyway, (laughs) we're here to talk about the Northwest Passage. Had you heard the term Northwest Passage before this episode? Yes. Okay, and you knew what it was, or had you just heard the phrase? Um, no, I knew what it was, but honestly, it was so, like, insignificant that I really just, like, had forgotten right. and mis- started mistaking it for, like, I mentioned to you the other day, the like, the Bering Strait. Right. Uh, I had heard it, and I thought it was uh, something in the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> That's what I figured. Not realizing that <laughs> it's Northwest from the perspective of England, basically. Uh, but, and I'm going to preface by saying when I learned about what the Northwest Passage actually was, was during a show that covers what we're going to talk about at the end of this, the Franklin Expedition. I'm going to recommend the show to anybody listening. It's called The Terror. It's an AMC show. It is actually uh, based on a book that is kind of a fictionalization bordering into the supernatural about the Franklin Expedition, but it is incredible. Seriously, watch it. Now, Dan, prior to... Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, search for the Northwest Passage, how was most trade done with Asia? Uh, well, it was about, like, two or three thousand extra miles and like two or three extra months you got you got two options basically right you got the silk road am i right on that yeah or you can go by boat and that was if the ottoman empire let you and you paid tolls okay uh sounds lame the other option equally (laughs) lame would be sailing but you'd have to go either all the way down uh, the Atlantic Ocean over not over, under South America, past Cape Horn and sail up that way or even even worse Cape of Good Hope, go underneath Africa and all the way around like Indonesia up to China all bad yeah, so they got pretty sick of doing that and around the 15th century European nations began looking for an alternative route and they were hoping to find something that would run in kind of the temperate latitudes because they knew you know Canada had a northern terminus they knew that continent ended (laughs) but traveling in the Arctic Ocean is not advisable and 
not very safe. They didn't kickstart global warming fast enough. Right. <laughs> they, uh, <laughs> so they needed a way to get through, basically. They were hoping to find a way through the... Canada has that kind of like archipelago thing going on. It's all about... It br- kind of breaks into islands towards the north. You know right. what I'm talking about? And they were hoping to find a way to split right through that. And now they tried many times. And I'm going to kind of... I'm going to blitz through this a little bit but there is kind of a long list of attempts some famous some not until kind of the culmination in the 19th century when it got very popular but uh, failed spectacularly so first one 1497 King Henry VII of England sends a man named John Cabot to find a northern passage to the Orient. His words, not mine. In 1524, <laughs> Charles V, and now you were saying this is one of the Holy Roman Emperors? The last. The last. Is this, uh, who's, who's Charles the Hammer? Maybe his dad. So is this Charlemagne? Is Charles V Charlemagne? No, that's the second, I think. Okay, yeah, see, this period of history, not not for me. It's um, nobody's favorite. Because <laughs> everybody's marrying their cousin and just figuring out oh, what to sure. do with all of Europe. Yeah. Rose. In 1524, Holy Roman Emperor Charles V sends. Uh, <clears throat> uh, <laughs> you didn't look at this one, man. I did not prepare for this one. Esteval Gomez to find a northern Atlantic passage to the Spice Islands, which is Indonesia, but it was not called that back then. In 1539, Hernan Cortez commissioned Francisco de Ulloa to sail up the California coast. Now, if you've seen Mexico, you know that there's that Californian peninsula, Baja California, that kind of comes down. And so the area in between that and mainland Mexico is called the Gulf of California. And Cortez and his cronies thought that that was a strait, a narrow strait, that went all the way from there to Newfoundland. And I've seen the map, <laughs> and I don't mean, that, you know, they knew it didn't cut through the body of America. They really thought it went kind of up and around. And they thought that California, as we know it, the state of California, that area was an island. And that, that idea kind of stuck around for a long time because of this. That's such an extrapolation. It really is. They are filling in with an assumption like 2,500 miles. Right, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> with kinda, twists and turns. With, with, with no real, as far as I could tell, no real reason to believe that. Did, were they even looking at a compass? Did, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, probably. The, so Sir Francis Drake even attempted to go on this, the Strait of Anyan, it was called, rough... Now, t- take that pronunciation with a grain of salt, because <laughs> Dan and I talked about it for a few minutes. We couldn't get to the bottom of it. Don't, a, don't voice search that. Do not voice search it. The uh, two further expeditions by a Greek fellow whose name, oddly enough, Juan de Fuca, but that's just the uh, <laughs> Spanish version of his birth name, which I will not even, I will not even attempt. <laughs> Uh, he said that he sailed from Acapulco, Mexico to the North Sea 
between England and Norway and back using this strait. And a Spaniard fellow named Bartholomew de Fonte said that he sailed from the Hudson Bay to the Pacific Ocean using this strait. Both obviously liars. Dear God, man. In 1576, Martin Frobisher took three trips to what is now the Canadian Arctic in order to find the passage, and unsuccessful. Can, can I jump in here with Please. a terribly extraneous piece of information? Sure. Do you know how the Pacific Ocean got its name? No, not specifically. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> <sighs> so I'm surprised he didn't make the list. Ferdinand Magellan? I'm familiar. Yeah. His crew circumnavigated the world. Um, when he when his he and his crew were going around the southern edge of South America, um, there's like a bunch of random little islands. So they were dry they're driving, Jesus. Sailing through this series of dry. twisting and turning straits. And it was super rough because they were close to the coast. And then when they got out, like into what is now known as Pacific Ocean, he, they, he remarked um, how peaceful the ocean was. And so that's the Spanish translation of peaceful ocean, uh, Mar Pacifico, oh, Pacific okay. Ocean. Yep. Sure. Okay, eighteen fifty 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 fifteen eighty three. Martin Frobisher <laughs> okay. took. Th- oh no! Nah, fuck. I already said that one, 1583, so <laughs> Humphrey Gilbert. He's trying to treatise. tell you. Tre- treatise? Yeah, you treatise, yeah. Treatise, okay. Uh, let's try that one again. In 1583, Sir Humphrey Gilbert, who had written a treatise on the discovery of the passage and was a backer of Frobisher, claimed the territory of Newfoundland for the English crown. Nice one, dude. August 8th, 1585. The English explorer John Davis entered Cumberland Sound on Baffin Island, and that is important only because Baffin Island and the Baffin Strait are pretty much the main point of entry now, I believe. Or for, and well, not now, but like for all the subsequent expeditions. That like that gets you deep into Canada. Is right. That what's yeah, going that's on? the that's the main entry point. In 1602. George Weymouth became the first European to explore what would later be called Hudson Strait when he sailed his ship, the Discovery, 300 nautical miles into the strait. And 1609, Henry Hudson sailed up what is now the Hudson River in search of the passage. Uh, And he was encouraged by the saltiness in the estuary. Uh, He was managed to reach Albany, New York before giving up and he attempted again later that same year and made it as far as Troy now Dan what does that mean to you uh the two birthplaces of my parents my mother was born in Albany my father was born in Troy fantastic stuff unfortunately in 1611 Hudson's crew mutinied uh they sent Hudson and his teenage son John along with seven crewmen who were either sick or too loyal uh, to Mr. Hudson himself to participate in the mutiny. They were sent adrift in a small open boat and none of them were ever seen again. Do you know you know where they were sent adrift? Uh, you know, I saw it, but I didn't uh, include it. Would... It's, it's the, it was in Hudson Bay. 
the right. giant yes. crater yeah. of a lake in the middle of like northern Canada. He Hudson Henry Hudson was like, "No, guys, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Let's keep going." And they were just drifting through these, you know, twisting and turning straits through Canada, ended up in this massive half-frozen lake and finally his crew was like, "Fuck this. Let's get out of here." Doesn't surprise me. And that uh the phrase he was never seen again, not the first time, not the last time on this, uh, <laughs> on this Northwest Passage. So 1612, again in discovery, but this time commanded by Sir Thomas Button to find Henry Hudson and continue through the Northwest Passage, but could not find Hudson, and uh, they gave up after most of the crew got sick. 1614, William Gibbons attempted, turned back by ice. 1615, Robert Bylet, a survivor of Hudson's crew, returned to Hudson's Strait in discovery again, but was turned back by ice. The ship Jesus, really got, dude, some, this ship. <laughs> got some miles, for sure. Yeah. Uh, 1616, Robert Bylet tries again, this time with William Baffin, the namesake of Baffin Island and the Baffin Strait. And they sailed as far north as Lancaster Sound, which is another uh, important point of entry. I hope you listeners at home are Googling all of these places. On the Just fly, like too. I am. Don't pause. Yeah. Just try to get in. It's like a race. Uh, <laughs> now, they made it in sailing as far north as Lancaster Sound. They reached the 77th degree north of latitude. And that is a record that stood for 236 years. Oh, Wow. But they were turned back by ice, much like everyone else. Uh, May 9th, 1916. <laughs> no, not quite. 1619. <laughs> <laughs> it's 200 years, man. Under the auspices of King Christian IV of Denmark, Norway, one country at the time, Jens Munk set out with 65 men and the king's two ships, Einhörnigen, meaning unicorn, a small frigate, <laughs> and Lampernin, Lamprey, a type of eel, which was a sloop. Uh, I don't. I know that a sloop is a boat. I don't know what kind of boat. Probably a small one, I would guess. Do you know? I'm Googling it. Easily Googleable. Please do that. September of 1619, uh, they found the entrance to Hudson Bay and spent the winter near the mouth of the Churchill River. But cold, famine, and scurvy destroyed so many of his men that only he and two other men survived. Jesus, man. Any uh, any sloop stats? What do you got? It's a pretty regular looking boat. Okay, yeah. Would you say small by uh? Yes, quite days? small. How many masts? Two. Two masts. Okay. Uh, seventeen seventy two. Samuel Hearn traveled overland northwest from Hudson Bay to the Arctic Ocean, thereby proving that there was no strait connecting Hudson Bay to the Pacific Ocean. Is that how that works? You travel one path, and that just means you rule out, like, all, you know, yeah. million and uh, a half square miles left to explore. Well, I guess, wait, hold on. Traveled overland northwest from Hudson Bay to the Arctic Ocean. The directions don't even make any sense. Okay, well, there's there's no possible way that I could have gotten this wrong, so it's probably Samuel Hearn that got it wrong. Uh, <laughs> 17... <laughs> Oh, this is a this is a small jump back in time, but 
I did want to mention it for one reason. In 1728, a gentleman by the name of Vithis Bering, a Danish Navy officer in Russian service, used the strait that would later come to be named after him in an attempt to find the Northwest Passage from the other side. Oh, Bering! Yeah. Okay. Deadliest catch. <laughs> yes. Nice one. So that all, that, that list ends in 1772, uh, chronologically. So around that time, basically the late 18th century, uh, most of Europe was pretty sick of sending people there just to die. And, uh, <laughs> you know, that's expensive. Probably more concerned up, about the ships, yeah. Yeah, the ships, I mean, like, it's literally money. It's, all, it's always going to be money. I don't want to get too <laughs> political. <laughs> it's always going to be worrying about money. Never people. It, it was pretty much an agreement that there no Northwest Passage existed south of the Arctic Circle. In 1804, a gentleman by the name of John Barrow, who was a British aristocrat, kind of poet, Renaissance man type, he takes over a position as second secretary of the Admiralty. And the Admiralty is the government department in charge of the British Royal Navy. Probably Back pretty... when you can get good jobs with an art degree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so, pretty important job. British Navy, very powerful. And he is very interested in finishing the Northwest Passage. So over the next four decades, the Admiralty sent kind of a wealth of explorers to try to complete the passage through Canada. It wasn't, I, I didn't even bother including these because we don't need more lists, and it was just like, it was all pretty minor stuff. It was mostly like mapping out. Uh, by 1845. Did more deaths, I'm assuming? You know, it didn't even say, because it, it it actually just like listed the people that went, and I didn't even bother including that. By 1845, the Canadian Arctic was pretty pretty well explored, and the area that was unknown was about seventy thousand square miles worth of land, and it was into that chunk of land where they were like, "This might be it. This is our last best hope." So he wants to put together. One last hurrah, you know, uh, one last one last heist. And he is, at this point, 82 years old, near retirement. So he's going all out. And he wants the best men he can find, the best ships he can get. But who? Who to lead? His first choice was explorer William Edward Perry, who declined because uh, he was sick of going to the Arctic. <laughs> his second choice James Clark Ross also declined because he had recently gotten married and told his wife he was finished exploring the Arctic seems like smart dudes yeah so there's a young buck rising star in the Navy James Fitzjames what? James Fitzjames <laughs> um, he was considered but they ultimately decided too young too inexperienced uh, Francis Crozier was considered. The Francis Crozier ends up going on the expedition, but he was considered to lead the expedition, but was turned down because he was Irish. <laughs> they eventually decided he it. was probably too dumb and Irish to do it. <laughs> Son of a bitch. So eventually, and kind of reluctantly, John Barrow decides to choose John Franklin. 
John Franklin is a veteran of the Arctic, but he had some pretty close scrapes with death. He had had crews that had lost a lot of people before, so it wasn't like, you know, he wasn't a first-round pick by any means. But they go with him, and they have two ships, two large ships, the Erebus, the HMS Erebus, and the HMS Terror, <laughs> um, <laughs> which... Uh, fitting name. I'll be on the other one, thank you. Yeah, they were sturdily built, and I'm actually just going to read an excerpt here about kind of the outfittings, because they really decked these ships out, especially for the time. They're heavy as shit, man. They were. Well, and actually, the what I have there is the cargo capacity, not the weight. Uh, wow. But I guess that, you know, they go hand in hand. Sure. Um, no, I guess they don't. It, do, it doesn't it doesn't matter. I'm not a naval engineer. <laughs> Steam engines Yet. were fitted to drive a single screw in each vessel. These were engines that were lifted from former locomotives from the London and Croydon Railway. They put essentially trained locomotives inside of each of these that were spinning a screw attached to a repeller. The age of the steampunk. Yeah, and the, it wasn't fast, though enabling the ships to make about seven and a half kilometers an hour on their own power. No wind involved. Other advanced technology included bows reinforced with heavy beams and plates of iron, an internal steam heating device for the comfort of the crew, iron rudders that could be withdrawn into iron wells to protect them from the damage, and ship's libraries of more than 1,000 books and three years worth of conventionally preserved or tinned food supplies. Jeez, man. I wonder if anybody read all 1,000 books. It's possible. No, it's not. Well, okay, it's possible. It's not probable, but they were, we'll, we'll get into it, but they were marooned for a long time. And one thing I would like to mention, this tinned food, pretty pretty new stuff at the time, and it was like, wow, they've got all this tinned food. Eventually, though, uh, it turns out that the man they contracted to do it only had a month to do it and the lead soldering they used to solder the cans with lead to close them off and in a lot of these cans the lead seeped into the food and it was like it ruined the food but at a certain point they kind of just had to eat it and it eventually messed with the physical and mental health of a lot of people God. in the expedition. Oh no. But we're not there yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> the sky is blue, crew is happy, expedition set sail from England on the morning of the nineteenth of May, eighteen forty five, with a crew of twenty four officers and a hundred and ten men. The last time it was seen by anyone other than Inuit was July of 1845 when it crossed paths with a whaling ship in the Baffin Bay in Canada. And so everything after this point is pretty much 150 years of research expeditions, accounts from Inuit, kind of pieced together. Ooh, I want to sift through those Inuit accounts. Yeah. See what Um, they think of these idiots. The... I will start with the only piece of actual uh, like 
writing from the crew that we have. And it's a note found on King William Island, and it's two, two different entries, about a year apart. And I will read them in full. First one. HMS ships Erebus and Terror wintered in the ice in latitude 70 degrees 5 minutes north longitude 98 degrees 23 minutes west, having wintered in 1846 to 1847 at Beachy Island. I'm going to jump in, though. That's actually incorrect. They were <laughs> wintered from 1845 to 1846. I don't know they how didn't they know what year up. it was? Yeah, they, they maybe it was just like miswriting. I'm not sure. The lead. <laughs> yeah, the lead. <laughs> After having ascended Wellington Channel to latitude 77 degrees and returned by the west side of Cornwallis Island, Sir John Franklin commanding the expedition, all well, underlined. Rip. Yeah. Party consisting of two officers and six men left the ships on Monday the 24th of May, 1847, signed Lieutenant Graham Gore and mate Charles F. DeVoe. Second entry, a year later, HMS ships Terror and Erebus were deserted on the 22nd of April, five leagues north-northwest of this, having been beset since the 12th of September, 1846. The oh, that's a long crews, time. Yeah, they were stuck in the ice for about three years. The officers and crews consisting of 105 souls under the command of Captain Francis Crozier landed here in latitude 69 degrees 37 minutes 40 sec- 42 seconds north longitude 98 degrees 41 minutes west Sir John Franklin died on 11th June 1847 and the total loss by deaths in the expedition has been to this date 9 officers and 15 men signed James Fitzjames Captain HMS and signed Francis Crozier Captain and Senior Officer of the Terror we start tomorrow, 26th, for Baxfish River. So, Jeez. here's two big things. John Franklin tragically died, 1847, two years after they set out. 23 people had died, and that means the rest of them, by the time of that second entry, had decided, we're sick of waiting in the ice, and all of us are going to walk to the nearest manned post, which is about 100 miles south. God. Um, so, you know, this, this note wasn't found until well after, but not well, not well after, I should say, you know, it it was in one of the expeditions that looked for, but by 1848, it was pretty clear to the British public that the expedition had not been successful. Public outcry led by Lady Jane, John Franklin's wife, forced the Admiralty to develop a three-pronged approach to find it. First prong an overland rescue party led by John Richardson and John Ray down the Mackenzie River to the Canadian Arctic coast. And two expeditions by sea were also launched, one led by James Clark Ross entering the Canadian Arctic archipelago through Lancaster Sound. That's that very north sound I was talking about. And the other, commanded by Henry Kellett, entering from the Pacific side. And the Admiralty offered a reward of 20,000 Great British Pounds. Oh, lay it on me, dude. What is that? today's money, that is uh, 2, 2 million, 22,900 <laughs> pounds. To, oh, yes. Quote, Which is like $4 million, isn't it? No, I think the I think the pound and the dollar were pretty close. Once, well, no, they never switched the euro. I, I, I don't think it's, 
I think they're pretty close. Oh yeah, you're right. One and a quarter. Uh, to any, so this is that offer was to quote any party or parties of any country who shall render assistance to the crews of the discovery ships under the command of Sir John Franklin. Sweet. By 1850, many people joined the search. Um, a lot of these converged on the east coast of Beachy Island, where they had docked, where they were uh, beset on the ice, and they found the remnants of winter camp and the graves of three men who had died early in the expedition, John Torrington, John Hartnell, and William Brain. In 1854, John Ray, working for the Hudson Bay Company, as Dan informed me, a fur trading company, meets an Inuit man who tells them of a group of 35 to 45 white men who were found dead from starvation near the mouth of the Back River, where they had set out to get to, where the Franklin Expedition had set out to get to. Uh, Other Inuit confirmed the story and say that cannibalism had clearly taken place Oh, brother. And also presented several possessions that once belonged to John Franklin and his crew. So that's pretty solid evidence, if you ask me. Yeah. Uh, we got a multi-party account. They have possessions. They're dead. And uh, by 13th of March, 1854, the Admiralty agrees. They were convinced enough to declare the expedition and all of its crew deceased in service. This did not please Lady Jane, John Franklin's beloved wife. She was unable to appeal this decision to the Admiralty and decided to raise money herself publicly. And she got the support of her personal friend Charles Dickens to get the public on board, and it worked. An expedition set out, captained by... Chuck? What? Chuck! Chuck Dickens, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so Francis Leopold McClintock is the gentleman who captains this expedition aboard a schooner called Fox. Uh, while unable to locate the crew of the ships, this is where we found the note that I read earlier in a uh, in a cairn on King William Island, a stack Plus. of stones. Plus. Fun, yeah, fun fact. McClintock, after he got back from this attempted expedition, went on to fi- found the Fox Media Corporation in the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's where he got the name, from his ship. Good one. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. I should sorry. Poo- I shouldn't poo-poo your jokes. <laughs> no. I've been, I I've, been talking, I, I've been talking nonstop. <laughs> so Dan, found we- the note. <laughs> We found the note. The note's been found, and uh, they did also find a few skeletons that were successfully identified as crew members because they were wearing like clothing. They had some possessions, oh. you know, yada yada. But nothing. They didn't find, you know, all of the like hundred and five unaccounted men that we have now. Well, I have a question for you. Like, wh- why why does this one get so much attention? Is it because of his wife? Is it because of Charles Dickens? Is it because of, like... I think it's a combination. So this was hugely, like, they were... Like I said, this was John Barrow being like, let's give it one last go, one real good go. 
you know, uh, they spent a ton of money on the on the ships. Big crew, two boats. That's true. There was probably yeah. a ton of ton of publicity. Yeah, and then add that to all of the exposure from Lady Lady Jane, uh, Charles Dickens. Yeah, like you know, they're all talking about it, and it is two like, million dollar reward. Yeah, so it's just so much so much presence in in the news and all that, and um, it is actually like even though disastrous failure of a mission, John Franklin was kind of lionized as a hero after this. Uh, just like Wild. he and his crew sacrificed so much for England, which the English really care about. Uh, <laughs> that's not fair. That's, that's every, every country has, has patriotism. Um, Except for us. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, you're right about that. <laughs> certainly the country the least amount up its own ass is america uh, very humble so you know that by this point everybody kind of knows they're dead and uh there were a few expeditions afterwards they found you know a few more bodies here and there and that it is actually just like that, strewn about different places yeah um because they set off not only did they like at various points set off certain sledge parties to try to get somewhere they would send off like four dudes with some equipment to try to make it to uh, some place they sent off several of those and i'm talking oh. about the crew of the expedition did that uh oh okay okay they kind of like split off splintered off a little bit to try to i guess that's terrifying, dude. Just like you and three other guys, just like ro- tied together with a piece of rope, maybe like a few days worth of food, and it's like let's just walk in this direction and hope we find something. Yeah, Th- thousands of miles from home, in uncharted land, hundreds of miles from anywhere anyone has been, anybody you know or have ever heard of has been. You know, here's here's a little anecdote to help you understand. Uh, a few years ago, I went to Bay. Anecdote? A personal anecdote? Personal anecdote. Kind <laughs> okay, of fitting. Go ahead. Kind of fitting. <laughs> okay. Um, so I and uh, a few mutual friends of Dan and I, uh, let's see, this was Paul Weeza, Walter Gibson. Oh, boy. And Callan Skur and myself. <laughs> I think that was the entire group of people. And we went tubing down the Scott oh, River yeah. in Des Moines, not realizing that this river is very, very low unless it has rained recently. It had not rained recently. And we went tubing. And uh, so not only was this river extremely slow, uh, we had to walk for most of it and we expected to just be able to float in like an hour from where we departed to where we parked the second car and it took several hours more than that most of it was walking it ended up getting dark and like once it started getting dark we were like well we just got to get out of the river and we started walking and we're barefoot none of us have our phones and we had to walk through a cornfield and it was like 
the sharpest shit I have ever stepped on in my entire life. And we made it like 40 feet maybe. And then we turned around and went back into the river because it was literally too painful to walk on. Oh, no. And so it just kept getting darker and we kept going down the river. And I remember thinking, this is the worst day of my life because I am in so much pain. (laughs) There is, I can't like, I can't call anybody. I just have to do this until it is done. And if I was that fucking miserable, imagine being in the Arctic. After three years. After three years of sitting on your ass in the Arctic, now you have to walk hundreds of miles in the cold with very little food, very little supplies. That's You've a, eaten like three of your buddies. That's a bad day. That's a very bad day. I'm in Philly. That's a bad John. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the young bull, Dan Gavin. <laughs> um, okay back to it devastating devastating experience uh no survivors absolutely none and no closure yeah there was no closure at all until 21st century have you heard of it um, <laughs> <laughs> welcome to it in 2014 a canadian expedition using side scan sonar don't know what it is, don't care, discovered <laughs> the HMS Erebus under 11 meters of water near King William Island. The ship, pretty battered, pretty bruised, uh, mostly destroyed, but intact enough that they were able to identify it as such. And two years later, uh, similar technique, different expedition, the terror was found. However, this one in pristine condition under 24 oh. meters of water south of King William Island. Now, they sent down one of those, like, you know, the movie Titanic. They send down that little, like, uh, robotic submarine, take videos, pictures. They've done that. And Jack, the boat! Okay. You're... <laughs> timeout. As if you are on timeout. We are not timing out. I'm, I'm going to keep going. You're on timeout. The... Now, funnily enough, the um, the greatest accomplishment... Of if there was one of the Franklin expedition was everybody they sent all of the effort they put into finding the Franklin expedition pretty much completely mapped Canada so they hell um, yeah they they were able to do so much map work trying to find the Franklin expedition that uh, I don't remember who said it but somebody was quoted as saying that the failure of the Franklin expedition was more successful than if it had succeeded (laughs) because um, (laughs) one thing to remember uh, we haven't mentioned this at all I forgot that this is something we just talked about beforehand is that there is and and through throughout this entire timeline there are successful passages through right but the ice pack drifts so much and season to season solidifies in different spots that there is no like one northwest passage there was that's the moral of the story well no um but like it ha- it was possible but not repeatedly so and turns out what we were looking for was right inside each of us you were on timeout dan <laughs> <laughs> you can't do there are rules. We just <laughs> we can't record episodes this long. I go crazy. The uh oh ooh, ah, ah. now 
ting, ting, well, well, I'm sorry. Good news that's bad news is that the kind of recent consensus is that a repeatable, totally successful Northwest Passage is probably possible now, and they have a pretty good one. I'm not going to bother looking it up because it bums me out that the only reason it's possible is because global warming has melted the ice pack so much that it doesn't have really that much effect anymore. Huzzah! Ships. We did it, folks. <laughs> 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 through, through just the trials and tribulations of the Industrial Revolution, we have managed to successfully complete the Northwest Passage. A lot of sweat involved in that process. Yeah. So, jeez. Uh, here we are at the end once again. I uh, nice man. What a freaking marathon! Yeah, sorry. Uh, that was kind of a Dan light episode because I just kind of no I, uh, rattled. I, I felt I felt like I did all right contributing. I, I feel involved. I'm good. Uh, I I'm more impressed with our listeners who made it this far. Yeah. What um I mean what what takeaways could even be had from this besides they i mean i guess tying it back to money they were so desperate to not have to do that long passage anymore that they just killed countless people and wasted Dude, so much dude that's a money. great point yeah the endeavors that's of crazy man. with no guarantee no guarantee in fact it didn't happen they had to <laughs> they still, build a yeah, fucking canal through all that, an entire yeah, still... country to get that done oh yeah i guess and that's then what we the came up with planes for, huh? Yeah. Yeah, nice. Good job, Teddy. Uh that's it, I guess. We got nothing else, huh? What with that? All right. Well, um that's going to be I, I, I'm, nothing after that. What I said last time. Goodbye all you cool cats and kids. You can paste that. We're going to do it West Indian style for you this time. Yo, Smith and Cash on the beat when the clock go blam blam. You doggy doggy dig it done, you done, done No, there's nowhere to hide, nowhere to run, run Grand time, motherfuckers, here we come, come Once again, when the clock go blam, blam You doggy doggy dig it done, you done, done No, there's nowhere to hide, nowhere to run, run Grand time, motherfuckers, here we come, come Hey, usually the two will be beside me when I cruise the street. Move your feet, lose your seat. He who moves usually cool it be. Slow your roll, these niggas out here cool with me. Rock the same shoes as me. Went to the same school as me. Lose it be. That these niggas out here trying to prey upon you. I just call the legend.